just uh, appreciate all of you, especially we're running on a shoestring this morning, and, and I appreciate all of you that stepped up to the plate and helping us out in all the areas of the church. So as you can see, we're in this series entitled Overcomers. <clears throat> now, I believe that all of us can be overcomers. Can I hear an amen? amen? Can we turn that down just a tad? All of us can be overcomers, and God wants us to be overcomers. I mean, Satan and the world and our enemies are striving to contain us and to hold us back from being victorious and successful. And God wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to be all that we can be. He's given us his word, and there's all kinds of principles that are found in his word to help us to be overcomers. Amen? They're not just the principles that are in this book, but God's desire for you and me is to be overcomers. He desires, he longs for you and I to be successful in all that he's called us to do. Now, um, we started this series on comparison, and um, it's been three weeks, okay? I went on vacation, so the last two weeks we, we haven't been on this series. But comparison, I'm going to just tie comparison in with what we're going to talk about distractions today. And all of us struggle with comparison. Amen? That was, that was weak. All of us struggle with comparison. Amen? Amen. We, we compare ourselves with other people. We measure ourselves up against other people, and, and that never honors God. It doesn't please God. And what happens, one of two things, as we talked about already. We become discouraged when we measure ourselves with somebody else. We feel inferior because they are better, are they uh, more equipped, they're better, better looking, they're a better singer, they're better equipped with uh, um, talents, and gifts, and so we, we walk away discouraged, and God is not pleased because we are individually created. He created us, and we're marvelous, and he created us for a certain task or a certain purpose. And so to measure ourselves with somebody else whose calling is completely different, whose gifts and talents are completely different, it doesn't honor God, and it keeps us back from doing what God's called us to do. Amen? It discourages us. I know, I know when I measure myself, I'm a, I'm a church planner, so when I measure myself with other church planners that are hugely successful, if I'm not careful, I get caught up in that trap. And guess what? <sighs> Amen? You get discouraged. And in every one of your lives, in the, in the calling that you're in, the same thing happens. So it never, you never win when you compare. Second thing is if you measure yourself against somebody that you're better at, all right, then you get puffed up, you get prideful, and then you think you're somebody when really you're not. Amen? We just, pride, nothing good comes from pride, okay? And so we get puffed up, and pride goeth before the what? The fall. So we've got to be very, very careful that we don't compare. But I mean, the comparison trap I mean, it gets us every time. We've, we've got to fight. We've got to overcome from comparing ourselves and how we're raising our kids. And we, uh, our kids are, are, you know, naughty. And this kid, why are their kids so perfect? Right? Have you ever done that? Moms, you ever done that? Yeah? How come their husband is so wonderful and mine's uh, not? 
Or vice versa. Why is my wife so wonderful and yours isn't? You see how I did that? Amen? All right. She's going to be listening to this today. But uh, all right. So let's jump in today, overcoming distractions. Now, uh, we have to ask the question, what does distractions do? And what it does is it keeps us from focusing on the important things. Not does it keep us from focusing on the important things. It keeps us from focusing on the important things and doing those things well. We can spread ourselves so thin that we don't do anything well. And especially those important things that God has called us to do. Let me just give you an illustration of this. Something that happened years ago. All right, I'm in Bible college. And uh, seminary class, okay? And there's this, bre- this fight that breaks out in seminary class, in theology class, believe it or not. It, it breaks out, and in the, in the, what happens, it's, it's a word fight, all right? It's a rumble in the seminary jungle, so to speak, all right? And there's this word fight. Well, the, the professor set this up. And he, got, he, he brought this topic up, and he brought up the topic of election and free, free will of man, and had the class just debate each other. And they're going at it, and it's heated. All right? The election people and the free will people, they're going at it, and I'm just sitting there, because, you know, I'm about two and a half years old in the Lord, maybe three at the most, and I'm just sitting there. I knew exactly what they were talking about, because this has been going on for a long time. In between classes, these same people fight all the time about this topic. And so this professor looked at me, and I'm just sitting there. There's about 20 kids in the class, 20 young people, and I'm just sitting there. And he didn't like me for some reason. Can you imagine somebody not liking me? I mean, the guy didn't like me. His, his name was Dr. Ed, <laughs> all right? And so Dr. Ed just didn't like me. And so he said, Fleer, what do you think? And, you know, after I was done, I realized why he didn't like me. But, but I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, and I'm really passionate about even, even to this time, I'm really passionate about reaching people for the Lord. And so I said, well, I said, I mean, I, I literally said, well, I believe in the election of God. The Bible teaches that God chose me from the foundations of the world. Okay, so I know he's elected me. And my voice is quivering, you know, because I'm really passionate about this. And he chose me from the foundations of the world. And, and that's God's job. I said, that's God's job, not my job. But I also know that not only did he elect me, but he's also called me to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. He, he's called all of us to, to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. And then I quoted um, 1 Peter 1, 23. And I said, the Bible says that, that uh, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. And I said, so that's my job. I can't do God's job, but he's called me to do this job. So I'm going to do this job. I'm not going to worry about God's job. He does the election job. I'm going to preach, and I'm going to witness, and I'm going to do that. And I said, so as far as I'm concerned, and by this time, there's tears running down my eyes, all right? Because I'm I'm just, and so I said, so all of this is nothing but Satan's distraction. So you you can realize why he didn't like me, amen? (laughs) So, so I, I, I. I mean, what happens was he was trying to get us distracted to get wrapped up in what God's doing and his job rather than us doing our job. 
I mean, this, this is what's happened over all these years to the church. You notice the church is declining in numbers. It's because people don't realize our calling in life is not God's job. That's his job. Our calling is to get the gospel out, and then they believe it, and their lives are transformed. They're born again by the word of God. Can you hear an amen? And so that professor was distracting us, and this has happened in all these seminaries across the United States, is people's getting away from this book, and they're getting wrapped up in men's doctrines and preachers' words. And especially at that time, man, I didn't believe any man, any preacher, I want to see everything from this book. And so that's distraction. That helps you out a little bit. Satan wants to distract, distract us from the important things in life. Not just doing the important things, but doing the important things well. Okay? Well. Raising our kids. That's an important thing. Being the kind of husband that you should be to your wife. Being the kind of wife. Being a church member. Being part of the church. I mean, doing that well. Getting involved in a ministry in the church. Doing that. I mean, these are the important things. What happens is Satan gets us off track. Just like he did that professor in that class and fighting over minor things. So, for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to give you five thoughts on distractions. Five voices, if you will, please. Right on the back of your sheets there. Five voices of distraction. And we're going to break it down so that you can identify these voices so that when it happens to come in your life, you can identify it and overcome the distraction that's trying to pull you away. Everybody follow? So let me give you these five distractions, then we're going to talk about how to overcome it in just a moment. Number one, the distraction of a critical spirit. This is the inward voice. The inward voice of a critical spirit that tries to divert our focus, divert our attention on other people's incompetence. Does anybody know anybody that's incompetent? One person back there, amen, amen. So there's not very many critical people in here, right? Amen. But there's this inner voice when we see somebody that's incompetent, that do, that's doing something stupid. Okay? I'm going to give you an illustration of this. What happens, though, is we get caught up and we magnify other people's incompetence, and so it distracts us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. I'm at the gym. I love going to the gym. I go just about every day. And I go to the gym, and um, I, do, I do one of two things at the gym. First of all, I listen to music, okay? I'm, I'm, I really, God ministers to me through music. Three dog night. I mean, I heard, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, second thing I do is I listen to, to podcasts. I listen to preaching all the time. So this one day at the gym, I'm, 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 I'm working out, and I'm really getting into this, this message that this preacher is preaching. I mean, he's really, he's speaking to my heart. I mean, God is leaping out of that phone into my earplugs, and, and, and God's speaking to me, right? And all of a sudden, I, I get you now, I, I, I'm minding my own business over in my little section, okay? And this guy walks in. He's a little older, probably my age. He comes in. Now, normally in the gym, okay, guys wear their gym shorts, right? And some guys that are buff and, you know, they really, they wear these spandex underneath their gym trunks, right? Everybody understand their sports spandex, okay? They wear it underneath their gym. This guy walks in, kid you not, 
He's got the whole thing on, except he doesn't have his shorts on. He's got the spandex. Only. Now, I'm talking a couple months ago. Only. Now, I'm, of course, freaking out. Okay? Here I was focused on God. I mean, just really God speaking to me. And this guy walks in. And it's not that he just walks in and he goes over to his own corner and he's lifting weights. He's out there in the middle of the gym floor. And guess what he's doing? Jumping jacks. The guy, the guy doesn't even belong in this gym. He's doing leg lifts. He don't have a clue what he's doing. He's doing lunges. He's doing all kinds of things right there in the middle. And I'm just, you can't unsee that stuff. You know what I'm saying? You just can't unsee it. And so I'm just kind of, you know, and I'm looking at everybody else and they're feeling the same, th- same thing I am, you know. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of get out of there, you know. But I, I'm serious. For the next day, I'm just talking about this guy, this idiot, you know, that, that, that this, this guy that's stupid, that just incompetent is a nicer way to put it, right? So I tell my wife and I'm telling everybody, you know, we're just having fun with it, but a couple of days later, I realized something. Everybody catch it? My focus was on me and God. And God was really speaking to my heart about something specific. He's dealing with me, I mean, on an issue. And all of a sudden, Satan comes in. And, and Satan isn't involved with this. This guy's stupidity. But I'm even, I'm even dumber to let this happen. I didn't even realize what was happening until two days later. It diverted my focus from hearing the word of God to something so minor. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want my kids seeing that. I don't want my grandkids seeing that. I don't want nobody seeing that ever. But the point is, I can't do anything about that. So I'm totally diverted. My focus is over here. And no longer did that topic come up where God was speaking to me about. And so after that two days, I went back to that podcast. Listen again. But does everybody see what I'm talking about? This is powerful stuff. We have to overcome this critical spirit because this happens in, this happens constantly. If you have this critical spirit and you're, and that voice on the inside is, is telling you to, to magnify somebody else's faults that you can do nothing about. So be careful. Second, second voice is the voice of the praises of men. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Religious people have a tendency to lean toward the outward appearance rather than the heart. I mean, everything starts out good. Christians, you know, they get saved. They, they just have this, they want to have this intimacy with the Lord. But before you know it, it becomes this outward appearance. And that can literally divert our focus on things that don't matter compared to what the things that do matter. Like the inner stuff. Okay? I want to read a verse. Jesus is talking to the religious crowd in Matthew 23, verse 5. And set this up. He's, he's really ripping the religious crowd. You know, he's talking about how the, their whited sepulchers, the religious people of his day, the outwardly, they paint, they paint the, the, they have flowers down, they paint the, the, the headstone, they make it all clean, but inwardly, it's full of dead man's bones. And that's what he tells the religious people of his days. You're full of dead man's bones. 
So because they were worried about the outside, notice this. And this is what happens if we're not careful. Everything they do, everything they do. Now, this is the religious crowd. They do it for what? A show. It's all about, do I look good? It's all about appearances. And just to illustrate, because we, we've got so much material to cover this morning. Just to illustrate this, I, had a, I, have, a, I have a great friend who's, who's very wealthy. And, um, and he, has this, he had this Cadillac not too long ago. And just beautiful on the outside. But his kids, his kids, he had four kids and, and him and his wife. And, and on the inside, the kids tore the car up. Okay, so no, normally when you have four kids, that happens, right? Okay, so the outside, I mean, was, it was cherry. And so I get into this, and I'm just floored that this thing's such a, just a, a mess. It, 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 it's, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, the handles and everything was just coming off. The, the door panel was like this. And I got, he said, hey, and so I said something. He said, oh, all that matters is what everybody else sees. All that matters is that everybody, they see it, and they think that I have this great car. You follow me? What, what? And so I instantly turned it around and made application to my life that, that when God looks at the religious people, which we do not want to be, amen? There's a difference between children of God and religious people and Christians can get wrapped up in this outward appearance so that we get the praises of man. You're doing a great job, buddy. I mean, just keep on doing what you're doing. And yet on the inside, we're like that car. We're a wreck. God wants to work here, and that's the important thing, not the outside. Don't get me wrong. We need to work out, and we need to do those things, but that's not the most important. It's the character. It's this intimacy with God that matters. So we got to make sure we don't get off track and get our focus on the outward appearance, and that's why we do what we do. We, we cannot. we got to overcome that idea because all of us like to hear way to go. Amen? We all like to be appreciated. But there's so much more. Another voice is emotions. Now, now I, I, I just put this emotion, but if you go back to Mark, uh, Mike was talking about this last week, uh, Mark chapter 4. It's the sowing of the seed, and, and verse 19 says it great. And I want to read it to you out of the message, just one facet of this verse, Okay. Uh, but you are overwhelmed with worries about all the things that they, that they have to do and all the things they want to get. And stressed, and the stress, this is the one word I want you to see, strangles what they heard. And it becomes nothing. It becomes unprofitable. I want you to think about that word strangle. When we get diverted, when our attention's diverted on the important things in life, and we're going to talk about a few of those in a little bit, and they get, they get diverted on other things such as worry, and we're talking about this, this emotion that we have, but we worry about everything. We worry about things that are completely out of our control, which we can't do anything about, and worrying never accomplishes anything, but we'll get wrapped up in these worries. It diverts our attention from other things onto things that we can't control. And he's talking about three things here in this verse. He's talking about worries, he's talking about wealth, and he's talking about the desire of things. 
And when we divert our focus off, when we get our, divert, our, our attention and we get diverted and focused on other things like worries, then all of a sudden, we've taken our focus off. Now listen very carefully. The faithfulness of God. We should be focused on the faithfulness of God and how fantastic he is. And he's going to come through every single time. But when we get focused on our worries, we're not thinking about the faithfulness of Christ. We're thinking that he's not going to come through. Can I hear an amen? It's exactly what we're doing. Everybody follow me? So instead of thinking how fantastic he is, we're over here, we're worrying, and we're thinking he's not going to come through and that he is unfaithful. I mean, that's where our mind goes. It diverts our focus off. It strangles, no, it strangles our belief in the faithfulness of God. Now, not just the worries, but the wealth. When our attention is focused on the wealth, it takes our focus off of the riches of Christ. Now, follow me. When we're focused on I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to get more money, I've got to, and we're focused on all of that. That's our focus, and that's where our attention is. And we don't think hardly anything about the riches of Christ. Well, what's the riches of Christ? People. His word. Our intimacy with him. I mean, all of these things. His faithfulness. These are the riches, but we get wrapped up in striving after wealth and after the things of this world. And so we got to be very careful. That, that's the voice of emotion when we get wrapped up. Number, number four is the opinion of others. <laughs> Holding other people's opinions. Now, we have to be overcomers of this because we do care. When you say, I don't care what people think about me, that just proves that you do care. Okay, what people think of you. So, so people... Opinions. I'm going to go to um, uh, John chapter 4 and just illustrate this for you. Okay, John chapter 4 is Jesus is going to the Galilee, but he's got to go through Samaria first. He has a purpose going through Samaria. Jesus is going, now this is important, listen very carefully. Jesus is going to meet with a woman. He's going to lead her to himself. She's going to be born again. She's going to get saved, and she does. The disciples leave Jesus there. So he's all alone with this woman. He's communicating, giving her the gospel. They go on to get food. Their focus was on food. Okay. So Jesus sits on the well and leads this girl to the Lord. The disciples come back and then she gets saved and she leaves her water pot. She goes off to the, back to the city and she's telling all the men about this Messiah. Do you believe this is the Messiah? So they all hear this, and they're coming down the hill, hill to meet Jesus because this woman is changed. They're listening to this woman's story, and they're coming down the hill to meet Jesus, and there's going to be a fantastic harvest. So many people get saved, okay? So here they're coming down the hill, and the disciples come back, and they're upset over three things. They're upset, first of all, that, that he's talking to a woman. Okay, women weren't held in very high esteem back in Jesus' day. Today... At real life, they're held very highly. That was weak. Man, you had a perfect opportunity, men, to jump up and even stand up and say amen. It's too late. You missed it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. We esteem women. Okay, so the, the point is, they come back and they're, 
they're upset that he's talking. How can he be talking to this woman? Number two, she's a Samaritan woman. She's a half-breed. How can they be talking to this half-breed? All right. Thirdly, her dress. They knew by the way she was dressed and the time that she was getting water. Some, I mean, she's, kind of, she's a shady person. Okay. Now, I want to read you verse 34, 35, and 36. Jesus' response. I'm sorry, this is fantastic. All right, you need to be taking notes. You need to be writing this down. So then you can go back and study chapter 4. That's fantastic. Jesus explained. Uh, he did more than explain. He's preaching here. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father and finishing his work. Fantastic. Next verse. You know the saying that there are, there's four months between planting and harvesting, but I say, now isn't this good? Now, wake up. Now, they're awake, right? They're awake. He's talking with them. He's telling them to spiritually wake up. That's what he's telling them. He says, wake up and look around. So here they come. This whole city is coming down the hill. Look around. The fields are ready, ripe for harvest. Now, that's good. Okay? Wake up. See, we have to fix our focus. That's what Jesus is saying. Wake up and look around. Fix your focus, and our focus ought to be on kingdom-focused. That's where we need to be, kingdom-focused. Well, what exactly is kingdom-focused? What does it mean to wake up and look around? He's going to explain in verse 36. This is, this is good, guys. Look at it. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is what? Say it again. Say it louder. People. The fruit they harvest is people brought. Don't miss this. Brought to eternal life. That's kingdom focused. And that's what our church does. Two things we do around here, right? We help people do what? Find and follow Jesus. Those are our two priorities. Our mission, our goal in life is to help people find Jesus, not to take the 20% people around here that go to church. Okay? We don't want the 20%ers. Okay? Real life is after unchurched people. Now, if they want to come and bring their tithe, praise God. Amen? <laughs> we have an early service just for those guys. But the point is, we're going after unchurched people, people that don't have this intimate relationship, and we want to help them find and follow Jesus, all right? That's what, that's what our mission is, but we, we may never get to the whole, the whole purpose of the message. Okay, so help people find and follow Jesus. That's our mission here at Real Life. But who is Real Life? You. Me. We walk out this door, walk out this church after church. You are real life. So your mission should be helping people find and helping people follow Jesus. Now, I'll go to, I'll go to, I'll go to different places and, and I'll talk about what real life's doing. The people that are getting saved and the lives that are being transformed. I'll talk about And preachers, preachers are just kind of dumbfounded. They, they, 25 people? I mean, from a church plant? I mean, just in, in four months? 
and their jaw drop. It ought not to be that way. Can you hear an amen? Every church should be reaching people for Jesus Christ. Kingdom focused. Not entertaining Christians. Kingdom focused. I could make all kinds of things. Okay, now notice the next phrase. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. (laughs) So good. So again, our job is to plant and God uses us sometimes to harvest. But there's there's joy awaits when we get to heaven. We have joy here, but there's fantastic joy when you get to heaven and all of a sudden all these people are coming and gathering around you just thanking you for planting the seed because of what you said something you said sparked their heart and that that eventually they trusted jesus christ okay and and you were either involved or or, or they're just coming up just thanking you for coming to real life and giving so this church can exist because they got saved through real life i mean it's on and on and on and on this can go what joy awaits us when we get our Focus, kingdom, and not diverted by all these other things. Now, one more. Okay, this is the last voice. Uh, getting ahead. The voice of getting ahead. I mean, all of us want to get ahead. Amen? We all want to get somewhere. Okay? I want to go to Mark. Write this down. Mark chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But I have to tell the story before we get to those verses. Um, and I know I'm, I'm really doing a lot of running around, but this... There's a lot of distractions that are found in the Word of God. So Jesus is going to Gadaria. And he's on a ship, and he gets off, and he lands on this shore, and he gets out. And as soon as his feet touch the ground, there's this man that comes running up to him. And the man is possessed by demons, all right? And he says to Jesus, he says, Are you come here to torment us before time? Before it's time? (laughs) So this guy's possessed by two thousand demons now grasp the picture of this this man who's coming to jesus is possessed by two thousand demons because jesus asked him what is your name and he said we are legion for we are many the word legion means two thousand so he's possessed by two thousand and they said to jesus are you come to torment us demons are concerned about their future because their future is in the lake of fire where they'll be tormented for all of eternity Revelation chapter 20, verses 15, 16, and 17, it talks about right there, okay? So it reveals to us that hell is real. Not a game. I mean, it's real. Even the demons don't want to go there. It's how hot and real it is, all right? So, so here these demons come up to, to Jesus and say, are you here to torment us before our time? And he s- begins this conversation with them. And they said, can you not cast us into the deep, but can you cast us into these pigs? There was 2,000 pigs that were right beside where they were. They were still by the water. And Jesus says, go. So these demons, they think, oh, we get to, we get to go into these pigs. We, get to, we, don't have to, we don't have to go, you know, to the bottomless pit. We can go in these pigs. Well, they jump into the pigs. Now, the pigs, 2,000 of them, the Bible explains, will come running down the hill violently because now the demons are in them and they don't know what to do. So they come running down the hill and they drowned in the lake. 2,000. Now, 
the herdsmen, the, the ones that took care of these, took off. Can you imagine the panic? They took off to the city and began telling everybody in the city about Jesus. So the whole city comes out. All of these men come out to talk to Jesus. And when they get here and find Jesus, they find the one that was possessed with the demon. This is what the Bible says. He was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Now think about that. Before that, this man that was possessed with 2,000 demons, the Bible says that he lived in the tombs. Now, living in the tombs is not what you and I would think. You go to the graveyard, and he's running through the graveyard. How many have ever run through the graveyard? Just run at night as a kid. That's it? I lived all the time out there. It was fun for us to do stuff out there. Okay, I'm just strange, right? So, so it's not like that. I mean, they're actually holes dug in the rocks they were caves and they would wrap these people that was the graves that was the the place that they placed the dead well this demon or this man lived in those tombs he lived with dead people and the bible says he would run through all of these caves and he would be screaming cutting himself the bible actually says he he he, he like a dog he howled like a dog and he cut himself and he ran through the woods naked I mean, this guy, and they, they would grab him and they'd wrap him in chains. And the Bible says he took those chains and he just plucked them. 2,000 demons would probably do that, right? Pluck those chains. So you can imagine this. Now, I'm, I'm drawing a picture because it's very important as we get to the end. So he's plucking these and no man could tame him. Nothing could stop this man. So the whole city was scared to death. It's like when you walk out of one of those horrifying movies that you guys watch, Right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. You're scared you're on a couch like this. You ought not to watch those, amen? But that's what this guy was, okay? The whole city was afraid of him. So here they come back, and this man's just sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they see all the floating pigs. Now listen what the city says. This is very important. Look at verse Then those who had seen what had happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pig. So the story that I just told you, they went back. Look at the next verse. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Now think about this. They saw the man clothed then in his right mind. They saw the dead pig. Now, the guy that they couldn't tame is now sound, as sound as they are. Their focus was so much on their possessions, on getting ahead. Listen very carefully. So much on the pigs that they missed the son of the living God. They missed it. He's right there. They could have touched him. They actually seen the miraculous power of the Son of God, and yet it didn't compute. It didn't register. All they could think about was their money that they lost and their opportunity to to get ahead. The application is very simple. We get wrapped up in our lives and all the things that we have to do in our list of getting ahead And we miss. Jesus is right there. He's right there with them. Listen, we have Jesus' words right here. Every day when we sit down and we get into the Word, the Bible says He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's here. 
And what do we do? We get up in the morning and we're so busy that we miss the opportunity to spend a few moments with the one who has the ability to transform lives. The one that has the ability to cast out two thousand demons the one that has the ability to breathe this world into the existence to take a a, a a bunch of clay and make man and take a rib and make a woman i mean he's right here and we look at that story and say man them guys are strange no the application is hey we do exactly the same thing why because we get distracted We've got to understand this voice of all these things we have to do that are trivial compared. His number one priority for your life and my life is my intimacy with him. That's his number one. It's getting into this book and him and me spending some time together. That's his number one priority. And we miss that. And I know we do because I'm, I'm sitting at a staff meeting of these preachers all around. And this was a couple years ago, and we're talking how many have 10-minute devotions and preachers. So we all do it. We all get distracted. Can I hear an amen? I'm not preaching at you. This is just the way it is, right? Amen. We're all distracted. We have all these problems. So we have to get victory because we want. We don't be like the, those, that city. We want to be people that actually are able to reach out and touch the son of the living God. We want to experience the transforming power of the son of the living God. Amen? We want his involvement in our life. We don't want to plead with him to leave. And we're doing it by not spending time with him. That's what we're doing. We're asking him, "Uh, I love you, Lord, and I I want to spend a couple hours with you on Sunday, or I want to spend 45 minutes with you on Sunday, but the rest of the time, that's my time. And so we miss out on that intimacy because we're diverted from what's important. Can you hear an amen? All right, so now let's get into the message, amen? No, <laughs> because we're, we're out of time. So I'm going to give you, uh, yeah. Okay, so I want to give you a six, five thoughts. We'll do, we'll do five thoughts. And we're going to go back to Nehemiah. I'm just going to give you the sentence, talk about it a little bit, and then we'll, we'll close. Okay, so... Go back to Nehemiah, how to overcome distractions. Because as you, I, I drew this picture for you because I want you to see how that we are distracted. Okay, so let me give you five things real quick from the book of Nehemiah. Just write them down so you can refer to them. They're very simple, very practical. Number one, realize, understand what's important. Know what's important. Know that this quiet time, your daily devotion with God is the primary, the, 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 the number one thing for you to do in life. Number, I mean, then, then down is your children. It's your spouse, spouse first, then your children. I mean, then your you know, church and, and your fellow believers and job and not entertainment's not on that. I mean, get in a way, but entertainment every day, hours and hours and hours being entertained by the TV, you know, entertained by this and entertained by that. I mean, that's not, but we can get distracted, just saying. Number two, okay, so realize what's important. The second thing that Nehemiah realized is the work that he was doing, those important things, that, that building the wall was a great work. 
you come in the church is a great work. You ought to not take it lightly. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that aren't here today, and that, that's fine. They're off uh, doing things. My wife is in Indiana with her father. I mean, those kinds of things, you know, that needs to happen. But this is a priority. This is important. And by showing up, we're gathering together, encouraging each other, as Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 talk about, encouraging, loving, and provoking unto good works and love. And just hugging each other. You'd be amazed at how many people come and just say, this is where I want to be. Pastor, I need a hug. Okay? That, peop, this is a fantastic place. I need God to speak to me. Somebody came in and said, I had some problems. I needed to talk to you last week, but after you preached, I didn't need it no more. Because God spoke to me what I, what I needed. Because the Bible says that he speaks through the foolishness of preaching. Isn't that good? I mean, it's foolish to you stand there and listen to somebody like me, right? Foolish. I don't know any more than you do. But God speaks through that. So you need to be here. All right? So, so the work, great. Okay, number three. Um, he was aware of the magnitude of the task. Now, what I mean by that is when he had all these distractions, he said, I can't come down because it is a great work. It's important. It's the work of God, but not just that. It's a great work. It's great. It's fantastic. What you're doing, raising those little children and, and reading the Bible to them and setting a godly example when they see you on your knees and when they see you come to church and they see you get excited about somebody getting saved. Now, if, if, if you hear somebody get saved and you go, that's good. I'm telling you, you're laying an example. The Bible says in heaven when somebody gets saved, here I am preaching again. I, get, I really need to get back to this. When somebody gets saved in heaven, what do they do? There's a big, an eruption party takes place. That's what ought to happen. Just like when baptism we do, everybody gets excited. That, ought to, that happens in heaven. Why not happen here? Okay, I'm sorry. I, keep, I just want to keep preaching. Number, number four, constant in prayer. Okay, constant in prayer. What happens is we can overcome those obstacles when we take that obstacle to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what Nehemiah did over and over and over. Nehemiah said, okay, Lord, how do I handle this? And the Lord showed him how to handle each one of those distractions. So you got to d- identify those distractions. That's what we talked about a while ago. Identify those distractions. Know it's a distraction. Know what's important and know that this is not. And don't let it take you from the important things. Okay? Constant in prayer. Last of all, this is, this is important. Nehemiah knew the hand of God was upon him. And this is what he said. The good hand of the Lord, my God, is upon me. Man, we gotta, we got to understand that. That when I go to God and I say, God, I, I've sinned and I've blown it and I'm sorry, forgive me. It's gone. It's gone. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm totally cleansed when I do that. This is fantastic. So now the good hand of my Lord is upon me. And we got to believe it. Don't let that guilt just keep pulling you down and keep pulling you down and keep pulling you down. Understand the truth of the word of God that now the good hand of the Lord is upon me. Act like it. Live in that truth. It's fantastic. Don't let Satan keep beating you down. You're nothing. You're a nobody. You'll never be a nobody. You were created to be somebody. His child for his task. But when you're beaten down, you can't be used. You don't want to be used. 
you feel like you're a nobody, you're worthless. So listen, we can be overcomers. God wants us to be overcomers, but we've got to make application to this wonderful truth that we've heard this morning. We've got to. So let's all stand this morning. Let's just go to the Lord and ask God, and and Jason's going to come up here in a few minutes. Let's ask God to help us to make application to what we heard this morning, that we won't be just like everybody else that gets distracted, that we will fix our focus and become kingdom-focused. Let's ask God that. And if you need to, I'm going to cry out to the Lord this morning. If you need to come down during this prayer, that's fine. And you want to spend some time with God, that's fine as well. So let's just bow our heads. Let's just go to the Lord together. Father, we just come to you this morning. We understand there's so many voices out there that we, we, we couldn't even tap into them this morning. But Father, we thank you for your word that's so crystal clear. The Satan, the world, and our flesh is constantly trying to distract us from the important things in life that you've given to us, such as raising our kids, loving our spouse, being the employee that we're supposed to be for our employers. Father, help us to understand what's important and what is not, and then help us to focus on those things. Help us to be battle-ready, alert. As you told the disciples, Father, uh, as your son did, he said, wake up and look around. Father, help us to be, do just that. Help us to not just do things, but do things well for your glory and for your honor. And Father, we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory for everything you do in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Jason.